0: Hello and welcome back to AOPA's Pilot Information Center podcast series. Our topic for this podcast is AOPA's fly-ins. I'm Ferdie Mack with AOPA's Pilot Information Center in Frederick, Maryland. Joining me today are Tom Zecca, Mark Milkovitz, and Paula Weibel. Tom is our Pilot Information Center manager and also acts as the AOPA safety officer at our regional fly-ins. Thanks for being here, Tom. Glad to be here. Also joining us via Skype is Mark Milkovitz. Mark is a senior aviation technical specialist here in our Pilot Information Center, and he also oversees the static or display aircraft area at our regional fly-ins. Hi there, Mark, how's it going?
1: Going pretty good, happy to be here.
0: Thanks. And finally, we're joined by Paula Weivel. Paula is AOPA's flight operations coordinator and dispatcher, and she also manages the camping areas at our regional fly-ins. Thanks for being here, Paula. Thanks for the invite. All right, so it occurred to me this morning Now that I have, personally, a few fly-ins under my belt, acting as our Airside Volunteer Coordinator, I was thinking that there are some bits of information that this team would like to remind pilots of, because our first opportunity to communicate with pilots, unfortunately, is after they've parked and shut down their aircraft at the fly-ins. It turns out those pilots, in my opinion at least, and you may agree, may have benefited from some additional briefing before they fired up to fly to the fly-in. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, actually this is a good good point to do that because part of the problems we have with the fly-ins are that exactly what you said, there's a lot of information we'd like to get out there in advance, but it's hard to do. So this is definitely something that's that's could be helpful.
0: And, and mm-hmm. to your point, uh, getting information out to those pilots early, we do do that in a variety of ways. Uh, NOTAMs, our online pilot information packet, uh, in some cases, specific emailed information, uh, for instance, for our campers. But we all know as pilots that there are many sources of information we can utilize as part of our pre-flight briefing, and really this is part of what we're talking about here, pre-flight briefing and NOTAM information and, and our pilot information packet. So uh, you know, it, it's likely that the more ways we can identify to get this information out, the better, and that's, that's why we're doing this podcast here today. So I thought we'd start with some top tips, and, and this really is a distilled version of the biggest gotchas that I think we've come across and uh, this team and, and the rest of our flight ops team that works the airside at our, our fly-ins. And the big one is kind of, a, kind of a framework, which is don't be under-informed, always as a pilot, and in particular in this case, arrival aircraft, uh, those pilots need to read the applicable NOTAM. Uh, airport operations will likely be in a non-standard fashion during certain times, uh, in this case at least for 2017, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, for the fly-in. Um, you can head to our website, go to www.aopa.org fly-in, so that's aopa.org fly-in, uh, to review the NOTAM and the pilot information packet. And, and guys, one of the big things that pilots may be surprised to find, and we saw people who sheepishly admitted they're under informed uh, pre flight planning process, is that the airport's going to be cl- typically closed at night. Why do we do that, first of all, Tom?
2: Well, it's mainly for safety reasons. We have a lot of aircraft that are parked. Uh, not only in areas they normally aren't, but also on grass. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's no lighting out in the field, so taxiing an aircraft uh, at night in the dark, even with a, even with a landing light on, uh, there are obstructions you could hit. So it's uh, strictly from you're not doing it other than just from a safety perspective. And it creates quite a problem because we had a, we've had we had a few that didn't realize the airport was closed at night, which they did not read the NOTAM. Mm-hmm. And uh, therefore, it created quite a burden on the FBO airport management and also the AOPA staff.
0: And not only uh, the uh, what you might imagine as an ordinary situation with just plain old airplanes parked in the grass, take camping in particular, you know, Paula, what would it be like for your your configuration if, you know, aircraft one is parked and camped, and tents everywhere. And aircraft two decides to fire up at ten at night or two in the morning. That would be an incompatible situation, right?
3: Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, you've got tents out there, and it doesn't take much to blow one of those over. So, it's a big, big safety concern.
1: Mm-hmm. Also, for for not just grass, but the asphalt parking, where pilots would think it's generally safe to taxi at night we're in a high-density parking situation to where you know the standard safety you would get by following a taxi line, in this situation you might not because we're high-density parking and there's the, it's non-standard operations. So even those things that you're used to using to utilize safety uh, might not be the same during the fly-in.
0: That's a great point, and even during the daytime, no less, as you said, uh, at, uh, at Groton recently, I had a King Air 350 I needed to bring up Char- Taxiway Charlie and his uh, his one main was all the way to the edge of the pavement and his far other wingtip on the other side with a winglet no less was pretty close to those spinners on all those Piper's and, and Cessna's that were parked adjacent to that taxiway so uh, you know we weren't we weren't making the taxiway unusable but it was certainly as I said uh, non-standard airport operations uh, so, so to tie that up neatly in a bow being informed Reading the NOTAM, realizing airport operations as far as which runway is open or closed, which taxiways are, are being used for what, and no fly-in attendee arrivals or departures will be allowed if and when the airport is closed. So it's definitely worth uh, checking in on that. All right, so let's, uh, let's go through this in, in time sequence. So we'll start with arrivals, timing of arrivals. Uh, first thing we, we typically see on Thursday is people getting there just a little too early. Would that be fair to say?
2: Yeah, not even on Thursdays, but they'll try to come in on Wednesday or Tuesday as well. And mm-hmm. there's uh, again expecting that the infrastructure isn't in place; it isn't set up. We don't have staff to uh, marshal the folks to parking at that point. Right. So, uh, so the official the official
0: treatment of arrivals as far as timing is: no event arrivals will be handled prior to noon on Thursday, as at least based on the the two thousand seventeen schedule we've been using for all of our fly-ins. That means attendee parking will not be available, camping will not be available. So if you do need to get there before noon on Thursday, for this year at least, plan ahead. Again, read the note on the pilot information packet and then contact the FBO for your early requirements because as opposed to attendee parking, which is managed by AOPA, you'll be using the local FBO for your parking requirements.
2: Right, and there could be a fee uh, associated with that, and that's not unusual uh, for any uh, transient operations that may have.
0: It's just as if you had arrived any of the other 362 days that year Correct. when the AOPA wasn't managing the, the, the marshalling and parking.
2: Yeah, and depending on the ramp size, too, that could be an issue because if a lot of people try to get in early, uh, the FBO may only have so much ramp space available, which creates another problem. So, again, calling planning ahead uh, is very important. And Mark,
0: do you want to tell us why sometimes they don't? the FBO might not have as much ramp space as usual?
1: Right, yeah, they don't have the ramp space because we're using it up for our static display. We're starting to build the static display, so obviously those static planes need to go somewhere, which is typically on the FBO ramp, so that displaces uh, typical FBO operations as well.
0: And that's that's a that's a non-negligible amount of pavement that you're uh, earmarking. You know how many how many display aircraft are you seeing on average?
1: Uh, 50 50 or more.
0: Okay, that's okay, good. Uh, so uh, as we talked about when to get there, now let's move to how to get there. You're in the air. You're not. You haven't landed yet. Again, I'm referring referring you to our pilot information packet, which can also contains the NOTAM, which contains the uh, specific arrival procedures, which will likely be in place air traffic-wise for your arrival uh, as well, uh, either based on weather or maybe if you're arriving when everyone else is arriving, say maybe Saturday morning, first thing, when the airport opens, there's always the possibility of there being some inbound holding required depending on on the situation, and that is also depicted in the uh, NOTAM and the pilot information packet. So you've, uh, you've been briefed, you've flown the arrival procedure, you're on the ground, you're just about to exit the, the active runway. What's going to happen next is the local air traffic control, if there's a tower and ground controller in particular, they're gonna hand you off to the AOPA marshalling team, which is uh, comprised of us plus uh, hundreds of, uh, of volunteers at every fly-in. But that means that you're going to be told by ground, to follow the marshallers. So, uh, tower. By tower, typically, yes. Thanks, Tom.
2: Yeah, typically, what happens is after you land, the last instruction you will get, uh, usually from the tower or the uh, common uh, traffic advisory that they're using, will be exit the runway, taxiway, whatever, follow the marshallers to parking. So they're just you're just getting off of the runway, and then you're handed over to the marshallers at that point, which is all visual cues.
0: Exactly, and that's that's where I wanted to start with our, our sequence, now that we're on the ground with our aircraft, is to consider refreshing your knowledge of marshalling directions prior to arrival. Do you remember when you pull up to an FBO and the lineman wants you to turn left, right, go forward, slow down, stop? Do you remember what those motions look like? What We will have... People in bright colored vests holding orange wands directing you and it is our hope that you understand which way we're trying to get you to go uh, if you want to check out your far aim uh, in the aim in particular you can uh, take a look at the the uh, treatment on which way that the wands go meaning uh, directing which way the aircraft should go uh, it's important just as important that we tell you the right thing as it is for you to understand what we're telling you because we may have have radios to listen to you, the pilots arriving, but we can't talk to you directly. So, we, without that communication link, marshalling, uh, the marshaling the marshaling needs to hop, operate correctly. Uh, it also you also may find yourself in a situation where the marshaling instructions marshaling instructions are non standard. Uh, as far as you might be asked to taxi onto a runway without having talked to anyone. Uh, if there's a ATC, ground, or tower. Uh, so the marshaler may tell you to cross a hold short runway, turn right on a runway, and taxi down that runway. Well, that may be where we're parking aircraft at that moment, on a closed runway. Uh, so uh, when I say follow the marshalers, it's not just understand what they're telling you to do, but you need to trust that they're telling you to go in the right direction. Uh, Let's see. Also, uh, as far as how do you end up getting where you need to go, there are a couple reasons you might be attending a fly-in. The most obvious is you're, well, just attending the fly-in. You're there to go to see the exhibits and the display aircraft and uh, maybe attend a few seminars. Uh, but there may be an additional uh, spe- specific thing that you need to be dealt as far as where you need to go. And one might be if you're a camper. We'll go into some of the camping details in a moment, but if you're camping, you will likely have received an instructional email including a, uh, a big letter C that you can print out. You may be familiar with, uh, for instance, like at uh, EA Air Venture, certain aircraft have certain signs they hold up in the, uh, the windshield to indicate to the marshallers where they need to go. Like if it's a cub that's going to park with all the 99 other cubs that all end up congregating in one spot. Well, for our AOPA fly-ins, for camping, you would get a big letter C to print out and put in your windscreen. Uh, two things about that, though, that seem, might, might seem obvious to some, but not to others. One is we were asked, when should I hold up that big letter C? Well, the answer is anytime there's a marshaler in front of you, anytime someone needs to know which way you need to go. If there's no one in front of you, it's less, less useful because there's no one to see it. But if someone needs to see that letter C, you need to hold it up for them. And that brings up my other point, hold it up high. If you leave it sitting flat on the glare shield, we can't see it. So bring the letter C with you to print it out. Hold it up for camping. Hold it up when someone needs to see it. Make sure you hold it up so that it can be seen. Uh, the other letter would be an E for exhibitor. If you're one of the exhibit or static display aircraft that Mark and Gary handle, uh, they will have you'll have a letter E. Again, show it, hold it up high. Uh, there is an additional attendee, aircraft attendee sign in uh, the pilot information packet. It's not necessary, but if you do have it, you can hold that up as well, and we'll know which way to send you. Uh, although, if you have no sign, we're going to assume that you are a, uh, an, a just an ordinary attendee aircraft, anyway. Anything else on uh, on the marshaling until anything before once we're shut down?
1: Um, one one thing that that has been happening with the previous flyings is with there's uh, ATC or the advisory frequency. Uh, a lot of times the ATC might ask you if you're camping exhibitor or just plain attendee. So just be aware of that if you're coming in and, and you're just taxing out, they might ask, "Hey, are you camping? Are you exhibitor? Are you just attending the, the flying?" Actually, knowing to answer that uh, over the radio does help us greatly because we do monitor their arrivals. And just by saying where you're going over the radio, if asked, uh, helps us a lot. So that's another thing you might expect.
0: That's a, that's a great point, Mark. And and to that end, if you're asked, are you here for the event or something extremely generic, yes. uh, it would be better if instead of answering in the affirmative, you were a little more explanatory and said, yes, I'm camping, or general parking, attendee parking, exhibit aircraft, anything a little more descriptive. get us uh, allow us to get you to where you need to be because again we on the ground uh, we'll all be out there trying to figure out where you need to go and if you've given us a cue we can certainly capitalize on it that's a great point mark thanks okay once you're parked Tom do you want to take this one what do I need to bring with me
2: well you need to bring your own tie downs and chalks okay Uh, that's the biggest thing Uh, you can expect to park on grass doesn't mean that you will be on grass, but there's a good possibility you could be. So I find it, uh, you know, pilots need to keep that in mind. So as part of your equipment that you have on board, if you're going to a fly-in, I would think your own chalks and your own tie-downs would be in the back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do not have hundreds and hundreds of these to provide to attendees.
0: And, yeah, it's not uncommon for someone to get out of the airplane and say, Oh, I didn't think of that. Gosh, I guess I should have brought some. I've got some. I've got a claw tie-down system in a bag back in my hangar. It's kind of
2: like fuel left on the ground, right? Yep. And the other instance is uh, you could end up on a, a piece of pavement, uh, but it could, it's going to be non-standard. The chances of you actually having tie-downs there for you to tie down is uh, highly unlikely. Mm-hmm. So again, the chalks are very, very important.
0: Uh, okay, once you're there and you're shut down and you're in your spot and you've been appropriately secured by your own equipment, uh, you'll be uh, you'll be approached by a greeter in our parking team. And what the first thing the greeter is going to do is ask you, do you need fuel while you're here? So you'll be provided, attendees will be provided with a fuel card to fill out. Uh, the, the big thing there is don't expect to fill out the fuel card when you return to your aircraft and then wave it and magically a fuel truck will appear. What's going to happen is... You're going to fill that fuel card out, rubber band it to your propeller, and on occasion, the fuel truck will be by, they'll pull the card, get your information, and, and refuel you. So there's no ASAP, no quick turn fueling, uh, unless you get lucky and the fuel truck happens to be there at the right place at the right time. Could happen, but why roll the dice?
1: Bernie, I'd like to roll back to uh, a point uh-huh. that I'd like to make about uh, aircraft parking, okay. is for a lot of the parking that attendees will be doing, you will not be taxied right into your spot. In fact, there's a lot of parking to where we will have volunteers push your aircraft back into a spot. So be aware that if that's the case for when you arrive, uh, we're gonna expect you to stay in the aircraft, secure the the aircraft by removing the ignition keys and talking to the marshallers and the volunteers to help uh, push you back into the spot. So that's uh, it's important that we get you where we need you so we can move on and clear the way for other aircraft as they come in. So just expect that the parking might be a little bit different than if you are just going to an FBO.
0: That, I think that's a fair assessment. And, and with the understanding, uh, the, the reason is, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at parking hundreds of aircraft over the span of a few short days and a 100 or 200 or more could happen as arrivals for example in just an hour or two so you know the it's not just the overall amount of aircraft we need to park but sometimes it's the arrival or departure rate that makes it so difficult that we need to have a real optimized flow and that's the reason that the that the, the parking is designed the way it is is that fair mark yes okay All right, and then finally, uh, as an arrival aircraft, besides a fuel card, you will also receive a departure card, as we call it, and that will give you all the instructions that you will need that you have at this point hopefully already reviewed in the pilot information packet, but we're giving you another distilled version of the departure instructions as far as what to do to get fired up, get taxied out, take off, and be on your way in the right direction talking to the uh, appropriate ATC facility, so frequencies, headings, and so on. So let's move on to camping. Uh, Paula, do you want to jump in and, and give us a little bit of an overview as far as uh, what campers can expect in particular?
3: Sure. Um, it looks like that the camping uh, has grown over the few years that we've introduced it to the fly-ins. And... Um, we do get a couple people who do want to arrive before noon on Thursday. And again, I think we've already discussed that, that we're just the infrastructure is not quite ready until noon. So the doors are open at noon. We're ready to, to get the campers. Um, you're definitely going to be parked on grass. You should always expect that. Um, again, it's priority that you bring your chocks and tie down so you can use those. Uh, make sure that you read the confirmation email that you receive when you've registered. It gives you some rules. Each airport has its own separate rules. Um, All of them say no fires of any kind. Obviously, we're in grass, but um, you need to be prepared for, um, I guess I wouldn't call it primitive camping at this point. We do supply you with some facilities. We do have shower trailers now. Um, There's some shuttles to get you back and forth. There's porta potties available. But you're going to want to bring some sunscreen. Make sure you have water. We can't always guarantee that there's going to be a place where you can get drinking water. And you probably want to check before you leave to come to see if there's a restaurant on the airport. Thursday, AOPA does not have any food available. To attendees so Thursday arrivals will show up and they're ready for supper and there's nothing available so you know find out if there's uber in the area taxi if there's a restaurant on the field and what their hours of operation are that's helpful in advance
0: good okay uh... Also, you said the registration, so my understanding is campers can register online or they can call us to do so?
3: When they've they've, um, called into member services or went online to register for the fly-in, there's also um, an area if they want to camp, they register for that as well. There's a $10 fee, and um, once they do that, there is a... Camping confirmation that is sent out to you that has all of the rules and regulations for that specific fly-in venue, and if they don't receive it, they should call back to member services and ask them for the information. And uh, or have it emailed.
0: I'm sorry. And if you if if you out there need information, need the details on how to call member services here at AOPA, it's 800 USA AOPA or 800 872. Two six seven two, and then you can press option one on the phone, and that will get you to our member services staff, who can help with camping registration and questions. All right, anything else about camping? Camp, uh, camping is really a superset of ordinary parking. Other than that, it's another airplane with uh, people who are happy to come and and participate and hang out and uh, and talk with some other neighboring campers. It's a it's a good time. You, you seem like you all have a, have a lot of fun so out there. It's
3: a good community. Uh community event to go out and be able to mm-hmm. camp with the airplanes and we actually get a lot of repeat people so i've seen i've made friends with some people who have come to multiple fly-ins so i see their name on the list and i know you know i get to visit with them again it's mm-hmm. always fun
0: all right if that's unless there's anything else on camping we'll move on uh had a couple quick notes about while at the show what you might expect as an aircraft attendee as opposed to uh, someone who's uh, arriving via a car uh, there are typically depending on the airport layout and requirements there are typically shuttles that will be getting uh, attendee pilots and and their friends and family uh, to and from the aircraft uh, you can also typically walk to and from your aircraft unfettered uh, however you know we we strongly urge if you're doing that at night if you're a camper for example uh, be familiar with the route uh, for off-airport transportation as Paula mentioned, Uh, Taxi and maybe Uber or Lyft uh, are going to be your your best and likely only only bets unless you want to rent a car. Uh, If you're not camping, you'll probably want to rent a car. You can refer to the pilot information packet for details. Uh, At many of our fly-ins, we will have the local rental car company, Staging Rental Cars, at the airport uh, for you to pick up. And then finally, if you are an attendee and you're one of these uh, special aircraft that have special needs uh, you know, due to you know, weight load bearing or the size of the aircraft, if you're a CJ or King Air, we're not going to be routing you into camping most likely and, uh, or into ordinary parking. We're going to want you to work with the FBO to arrange for, uh, for parking and, and or hangar and tug, whatever it needs to secure your, uh, your non-standard GA aircraft from a size perspective finally for departures uh hold on a second there
2: for 30 uh Uh, just to talk about the shuttles uh people should pay particular attention to the times that those shuttles run um mainly because uh, it's happened to me several times somebody's come up to me during the middle of the day and wants me to run them out to their airplane so they can get their pack of gum or whatever it might be Mm -hmm. Uh, and again it's very not that i don't mind doing it but it puts a bind on uh, staff time Uh, we want to help you as best we can but you know if there's a shuttle running prefer you take the shuttle Uh, also note when those times stop because if you're you know go to a function and you stay longer chit-chatting with people and the shuttles stop then you might have a hike to get out to your airplane to to or to get to camping uh, or even to run out to your airplane to get something and then you leave for your hotel so it's a can you've really got to pay attention to the to the shuttle when it runs and and, uh, and adhere to that as best you can plan ahead again plan is ahead yeah yep.
0: all right uh, let's uh, we'll go to departures uh, we'll start with on the ground again in reverse same thing as arrivals follow marshallers towards the active departure runway uh, it typically if there's any significant amount of departure flow already in progress when in you decide. It's your turn to leave. It's going to be pretty obvious which way to go. Get with the Congo line. Uh, follow the marshaller directions along with all the other aircraft. Expect to have to perform your run up in line. Uh, if you can, if you have a moment to turn your aircraft to the side, so you're not b- prop washing the aircraft behind you, but nonetheless expect not to be able to stop right when you're number one for departure and make your runway or, or your run up right before the runway. That's unlikely to happen. And if the departure card will explain if it's a towered airport, when you need to contact ground or tower prior to departure. Uh, it's typically, again, in a different place than you would if the air- airport was under normal operations because the local facility gives up so much of their, uh, their ground area to the AOPA marshalling team and volunteers. So uh, you may, for example, uh, be asked to contact tower when you're number one for departure at the active runway and no, not before. It's pretty late in the game for those of you that are used to operating at a towered airport to wait that long, not only to, to uh, contact tower at the last minute, but also uh, to not have contacted ground prior to that at all. But that, that may be the situation depending on the airport. So refer to your departure card for those instructions. Once you're in the air, you'll follow your, the depart the published departure procedures regarding your direction initial direction of flight based on your runway of departure. Uh, also, the communications information for frequencies uh, for the uh, for the departure uh, facility on the pilot information packet and the departure card. Uh, and then, Tom, you asked me to add this. You want to uh, you want to hit that one?
2: Yeah. Uh, from a safety perspective, for the departures, uh, uh-huh. perform a normal takeoff. That is, no low passes, no high speed uh, passes, wing wiggles, that sort of thing. Uh, need you up and out of here as efficiently as possible. It's a high-density uh, area. We've got a lot of aircraft and a lot of people real close to that runway. And, um, you know, so it, there's no need for, you know, everybody to see your airplane so you fly it down the whole length of the runway. It's just one of those things we need We need to keep safety uh, uh, first and foremost in everyone's mind. Another,
1: that, go ahead, Mark. Go ahead. An, another thing to possibly think about, too, is... Uh, It might be more time sensitive, or or you might save time by actually planning to wait an hour or maybe two hours after the fly-in ends because uh, it's amazing. There's a long line right after it closes for a departure up to taxi away, and then if you wait an hour, hour and a half, two hours, it it really clears out pretty quickly. So uh, it might be worth it to you to wait. Till that big rush goes and then it's a lot easier to depart. So that's another thing you might want to plan on.
0: That, that's a great point. It's like sitting at the office at 455 thinking you want to get in your car and join the other people at, in the five o'clock rush. Uh, or, whereas if you waited a little or, or left a little earlier, we'd rather have you wait later. Uh, uh, you're going to have much better experience. One of our recent fly-ins, I counted 48 aircraft in line between the whole short line and where the line ended towards the parking. So uh, you can imagine if each one only took an hour. You can imagine how long you're going to be sitting in that airplane with the engine running, but the door open. But it's still going to be hot, most very very likely. So that's that's a great point, Mark. And to to Tom's point, it's not an air show. You know, we're here to get in and get out. And God forbid somebody, uh, you know, does a little aircraft damage in the process of a little bit of show offedness. Next thing you know, if we have to close that runway, we might not have another runway. Or if we do have another runway, it might not be openable for another hour. The whole thing is going to get shut down. So, let's, as Tom said, this is not this is not an opportunity to show off. It's, it's an opportunity to be safe and efficient. We're going to say so. Uh,
3: yeah, just from the last uh, fly-in, I do, do remember with the amount of aircraft that are departing at all at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that was helpful, uh, and it's again based on the airport uh, where the fly is being held, but I know that there was a request that people who are filing IFR maybe get their clearance once they're in the air. So they depart VFR and then they they file for their IFR clearance once, once they're airborne. It helped with the load in the tower.
0: Yep. So yeah, we've had some situations where the tower's able to keep up, but uh, other instances, it could slow you down. So yeah, if you can file ahead of time and then pick up your clearance, after you depart BFR, surely that would be a, that would be preferable. Great point.
2: Now, of course, if the weather's marginal, all bets are off. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. Be safe. That's yeah. the main right. objective here.
1: Right, right.
0: All right, uh, Mark. You have anything else while we're wrapping up?
1: No, it's just uh, other than, like you said, uh, be be informed and have fun when you come and, and visit us.
0: We want you to have fun. We want you to come visit us, absolutely. But, you know, above and beyond all else, we want you to be prepared. We want you to be safe, and uh, and be safe operating around uh, other people and, and aircraft as well. Hey there, everyone! One more thing before we go. It's Ferdy again. I just ran into Chris Eads, our AOPA Director of Outreach and Events, and. Uh, we uh, we thought there was one more thing we wanted to add. Chris, do you want to go ahead?
4: Yeah, well, first off, we're so glad you guys are coming to the event. And one thought that has struck us is there's a, a number of folks that either volunteered or signed up for camping that have said they never heard back from us, mm-hmm. and so they were a little confused. And we think the problem there is that maybe either we have your email address wrong, maybe it got entered wrong, or your spam filter has captured our email and thrown it off into spam. So if there's anything you expected to hear from us, and haven't whether you volunteered or you signed up for camping, uh, please call us. Don't uh, don't just assume we're not reaching out because we have some emails that automatically deploy when people sign up. So if you're not getting confirmations or uh, information from us, good chance that something's broken down in the email system. And just give us a call here, and we'd be happy to. Uh, help you get the information you're looking for. That's great. And uh, most likely uh, department they're going
0: to want to uh, talk with is member services, it sounds
4: like. Yeah, absolutely. Call the 800 number, and um, and they'll be happy to direct you to us or get you the information that you're missing.
0: Okay. And in that case, the 800 number uh, is the same as before, uh, but with a different option. It's 800-872-2672. That's 800-USA-AOPA. And then press option one on your phone, and uh, we can get you the information that you need.
4: Perfect. Thanks so much.
0: All right, Chris. Thanks. Look forward to seeing you out there. All right, gang. I really appreciate you all coming by to uh, share these tips with our members.
3: Thank you. Thanks. It was awesome. Sure.
0: All right. And to our listeners, thanks so much for joining us as well. If you have any fly-in procedure questions or any other aviation-related questions, as part of your membership, you can contact our Pilot Information Center staff here Monday through Friday at 800-USA-AOPA. That's 800-872-2672. And then press option 2 on your phone to get to our Pilot Information Center. Or you can email your questions to us at pilotassist at aopa.org. And don't forget to check out the fly-in website area at www.aopa.org slash fly-in. Thanks. We'll see you.